It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. And BBKL is presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football giants. Multiple ways to interact with us here on the program. Option one, give us a ring, 201-939-4513. Option two, you can head to Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat, and you can also directly interact with the both of us. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we gear up for week 10 in the NFL. Giants visiting the Cowboys, second matchup between both of these teams after the Cowboys were victorious 40 to nothing in week one at MetLife Stadium. Paul, let's start with what Brian Dable spoke with reporters about earlier today, and that, of course, is the injuries. So he's ruled out cornerback Adoree Jackson and running back Deion Jackson. Both are dealing with concussions. Adoree's also dealing with a neck injury, too, and that has popped Correct. up over the last few weeks. So they're going to yeah. be down their veteran corner. And Evan Neal, who was classified earlier this week as week-to-week, is officially also Correct. going to be sidelined. But that's not surprising because I think if you listen to Evan speak to reporters after the game, my interpretation, he sounded discouraged. He didn't seem as if this was going to be something that he was going to quickly be able to turn a new page and get back out on the field. But outside of that, Ozizo Jalari is going to be questionable, and it seems to be trending in the right direction that hopefully he will be activated from injured reserve as he fulfilled the four-game absence, and perhaps they'll get a little bit of a boost to complement the likes of Kayvon Thibodeau, Dexter Lawrence, and some of the other pass rushers up front. Well, that's the hope. I mean, talking to Drew Wilkins, the uh, outside linebackers coach today, uh, he said, look, the whole idea behind having both of those guys in the lineup at the same time is that not only do you not know who's going to do what, but you also can't even try to slide your protection or chip because you can't take care of both of them at once. So, yeah, they're they're hoping for a much better and increased uh, effectiveness of the pass rush getting Ojolari back. We all know what his production is when he plays. I mean, I think that's Oh, he's very efficient. Yeah. You know, so uh, they're very much looking forward to that. Now, Drew also did say that in the last three games against the Cowboys, they have done a particularly good job of getting the ball out quickly to try to prevent the Giants' pass rush from getting home. Which makes sense. Using the quick game very, very effectively. Now, that's three games in a row. That counts as a trend. Okay, which means now I'm sure the Giants coaching staff uh, has planned appropriately for it, because if somebody does it to you once, it could have been an aberration. If they do it to you twice, you start scratching your head and you say, hmm, maybe something's something's up here. Maybe we're tipping something or they they see a weakness. Well, if they do it three times in a row, you can bet you can absolutely bet that there's something that needs to be adjusted. So I'm sure the Giants defense has some new wrinkles for Dallas this week. And this comes at a time when the Dallas passing attack is really starting to come into its own, Paul. because Lamb is hot. Yeah, Lamb has 37 targets over the last three games, and that has resulted in 30 receptions. I would say that's a pretty nice conversion Mm -hmm. rate. And Dak, in the wake of that Niners game, if you recall, the lopsided loss, C.D. was very vocal. 
and he came out and said he wants the ball. Boy, did they ever give him the ball, and then some based on the numbers. So when you talk about getting rid of the football quickly, does that mean that perhaps there's a little bit more spread the wealth mentality as opposed to waiting for CD to get down the field in a game like this? But keep in mind, he plays a lot of snaps out of the slot, and we've talked about that, Paul, right, on previous programs. So when you look at Cordell Flott, it, to me, is a big assignment for him. And then I'm sure he's probably going to see a little bit of Deontay Banks as well, especially with Adoree Jackson, yeah. Jackson out of the equation here. Since uh, the days of Keyshawn Johnson, when he came out with throw me the damn ball, remember that? Sure. Oh, yeah. We have seen now many receivers, since he broke the ice, basically scream for the ball. <laughs> and most of them wind up getting it. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way because the guy's such a bad apple that they just decide, okay, he wants to pop off, let him shoot his mouth off, and it falls to the wind. But most of the time, your good players who ask for, for more opportunities wind up getting those chances, and they produce. Because, again, I'm talking about a sample of good players. Good players will make the most out of their chances. If you're not a very good player and you scream for the ball, well, number one, they're probably not giving it to you. And number two, if you get it, you might not do much with it. Yeah, well, it's a production-oriented business at the end of the day. You can want the ball, but when you get it, you have to be able to capitalize. And to C.D. Lamb's fairness, he has absolutely delivered. Now, there are two stats in the passing game that are very, very odd when you consider the Cowboys' talent and the kind of people that they've got on their offensive unit. Number one is that Jake Ferguson, the tight end out of Wisconsin, who I always liked, as you guys know, if you've been watching the show for years. Jake Ferguson actually is tied with C.D. Lamb for the Cowboys' lead in touchdown catches with three apiece. I think most people would be shocked by that, considering the starting three wide receivers in their passing game, and even with Pollard as part of their their yeah. passing game. To think that Jake Ferguson is tied with Lamb for three touchdown passes on the season, or catches, I should say, that's pretty unbelievable, you know. Uh, and then the second thing that I think is pretty surprising is that Ferguson is second on the team with 32 receptions. Again, consider the talent level and the skill level of those other folks in the Dallas passing attack. And yet... Look at Ferguson's numbers. Uh, he's only averaging about 10 yards a catch. I mean, he's not like busting busting. No, out. not explosive plays. He's not yeah. doing Jason Witten stuff. Let me make that clear. He's not Billy Joe Dupree, okay, going <laughs> back, you know, or even Mike Ditka. You old folks will know the guys who played tight end for the Cowboys back in the day. Or they'll know him as a coach, too. Yes. There you go. But, but he's not Jason Witten, all right? He's not putting up huge, spectacular Pro Bowl numbers. But yet when it comes to the Dallas rankings, he's actually ahead of some other very, very explosive weapons. Well, he's been reliable, and Dak is going to lean on a guy if he knows that he could count on him. I think that's what Jake Ferguson has proven, especially in the red zone, too. He's got the three touchdowns because he's a reliable Mm -hmm. option in the red zone, and Dak has seven touchdown passes in the last two games. But to your point, it has been emphasized on C.D. Lamb and Jake Ferguson. Now, does that change all of a sudden because teams start saying, okay, well, Dak is playing favorites, so our defensive attention is going to go that way, and now opportunities will present themselves for Brandon Cooks, who's been relatively quiet, and that was their big acquisition this offseason. Michael Gallup is another guy. We've seen Jalen Tolbert has received some opportunities against the Eagles last week, and Kevante Turpin, who I know is on the injury report, he's their special teams return man. He also has gotten a taste 
of the offense, and he had a rushing touchdown against the Giants the last time. So I think right now it's still a feel-it-out process for this passing attack because, as you mentioned, C.D. is doing an overwhelming amount of the heavy lifting. Why? Mm -hmm. He wanted the ball, and they've appeased him. But I think like any other trend in the National Football League, do you get teams to bite into C.D. a little bit more, and that creates some favorable opportunities elsewhere on the field? Because I think what the Giants need to be cautious of, Paul, what I'm getting at is, and we talked about this exactly with Devontae Adams last week, and I said if the Raiders right. force-feed Devontae Adams the ball, I think it plays into the hands of the Giants. Early in the game, they hit a couple big ones to Myers. Exactly. Which, which really was like very painful for the and Giants. And Turner State. down the field, the 50-yarder. Yeah. And we even saw Hunter Renfro get involved. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, does Dallas take a page out of that where everybody's thinking CD and then it creates some favorable <laughs> opportunities elsewhere? Just some food for thought, especially based on the depth that they have Why in that not? position. Heck, and, and the, you know, again, in discussing this passing attack, we kind of glossed over Pollard. He's got 29 catches, which is fifth among NFL running backs and receptions this year. So don't sleep on him. In fact, he's got a 60-yard catch and run, which is the second longest reception by a running back in the National Football League. So, you know, you can't sleep on the fact that he can hurt you through the air as well. And we've seen that even when Zeke was on the team because he would be the change of pace third down back. Now, obviously, he's playing more of a prominent role. But there's plenty of weapons. So you say to yourself, okay, how do the Giants make an indent into this Cowboys offense? How do they spice things up? And it goes back to playing the trenches, Paul. We talk about this with every Dallas matchup. And unfortunately, for the Giants' sake, it has ended up in favor of the Cowboys. Can you get pressure on Dak? Can you force him into some turnovers where you get a piece of the football? And then can the offensive line handle the stunts and the twists of Dan Quinn's defensive front? I mean, that's where this game is going to be decided. Let's not make this complicated and convoluted. If Dak has all the time in the world, he's going to pick apart the Giants' defense because he's going to be able to lean on the various weapons that we laid out. If the Giants' offensive line does not handle the Dallas defensive front, then Tommy DeVito is going to face a lot of pressure, and he's going to be forced into precarious spots. And also, and this is why protecting Tommy is so important, the Giants need to run the football, Paul, okay? And Without a doubt. to do it fast and furiously, and they need to stay in manageable third downs. If you take sacks on early downs and you have penalties, Dallas is going to pin its ears back mm-hmm. and say thank you very much. So you could argue the early downs are going to tell an awful lot about the direction of this game. I don't Sunday. think there's any doubt. I asked Evan, uh, not Evan, uh, Andrew Thomas earlier this week about Dallas's ability to stunt and twist up front, which we all know they do a lot ever since Dan Quinn got there yep. to man up this defense. They, I believe they're top three in the league in terms of the amount of percentage that they will stunt and twist with their defensive front. They're, they're going to do their identity. Every, they're yep. going to do everything they can to basically show you a spaghetti look <laughs> where guys are like twisting and turning all over the place to get you messed up. Okay, so here's the thing. I said to Andrew Thomas, so how, how much more difficult is that to deal with, you know, when you play a team like Dallas that will do such a significant amount of that stuff? And he said, honestly, it comes down to the early downs. You can't get caught behind the chains because that's when they're really going to make use of it. If you can move the ball and create short yardage and early downs, you are going to force them to pull back the reins on some of the stuff that they're doing. 
And and he said that's really the biggest key. It's not about trying to decipher the stuff. It's about trying to prevent them from using it. Yeah, because if you then have issues in the early downs, now you're playing right into the hands of the Cowboys. And you know exactly what Dan Quinn is going to do. And even if you know exactly what they're going to do, Paul, we have conversations like this. You go up against a team. They want to run the ball. You know they want to run the ball. You still, at the end of the day, have to go and stop them. You know Dallas runs twists and stunts, but you got to do effective play up front and actually stop them. And Mm -hmm. that's been a problem, unfortunately, once again, for the Giants. And we know all the characters in play here who the Cowboys are going to showcase, the DeMarcus Lawrences, the Micah Parsons, the Dorrance Armstrongs, and their secondary. Without Trayvon Diggs, Deron Bland has stepped up. I mean, he leads the team with defensive scores. He leads the NFL. He's got three pick sixes on the season. He's been extremely opportunistic. And then in place of Leighton Van Der Esch, it's been a bit of a youth movement at linebacker, but they've promoted a few guys on special teams. And to the Cowboys' credit, A lot of these guys have stepped up. We talked about Wanye Thomas, who blocked the field goal attempt against the Giants in week one, and Marquise Bell is another one of those guys who was under the radar that has been filling in at the linebacker position along with Damone Clark, their fifth-round pick in 2022. So I would argue they've had enough time since they've played the Giants last to deal with some of the movable parts, specifically Trayvon Diggs, and Leighton Van Der Esch, who I would say those are probably the most noticeable changes on the defensive side mm-hmm. since both of these teams last collided. If you look at all the, the key indicators in terms of st- team stats uh, for the Cowboys on defense, uh, giving up over 105 yards a game on the ground, 15th in the NFL, which is, by the way, just middle of the pack. Yeah, that's exactly that's not right. exactly terrible. No, that, no, no. That's the only one of the key indicator in terms of team stats that is not in the upper third, okay? <laughs> that's that's it. So uh, do you want to call that a weakness? Do you want to call that an Achilles heel? <laughs> when you're only 15th in the league, I don't know how weak that is. Well, that's why I brought up the play of the linebackers in place of Leighton Van Der Esch, Paul, because if we had this conversation in years past and you would have told me the Dallas Cowboys lost Leighton Van Der Esch, I would say their run defense is going to be night and day when he's on the field versus when he's off the field. You know what? To me... I know he's put up some numbers over the years, but I, I've always thought he was overrated. And the last three years, I believe, they've had him on sign one-year contracts. They've let him go. Oh, because of the durability. And they brought him back one year. Yeah. And, and, you know, to me, Sean Lee was the guy. But when he was he, another one that struggled to when, stay healthy. When he though. finally yeah. retired, it was like, oh, man, finally. Because yeah. Sean Lee was a tackle machine. Van Der Esch, uh, I don't know. He he piles up a lot of numbers, but I never got the sense that he was the kind of guy who could really snuff out a drive like Sean Lee could. I would give Lee the edge over Vader. Uh, in terms Van of effective tackles. Yeah, well, Lee was also very good in coverage, too. Yes, Let's he not was. Forget about that. I don't know if Leighton Van Der Esch is at the same level. He was a terrific linebacker. Yeah, but once again, the two common elements in play here was both guys struggled to stay on the field. And yeah. when you remove them from the field, it was noticeable. Yes, Whether or not they're on the same line, that could be debated. But this year in particular, they lose Van Der Esch to a neck issue. He's on IR, and the run defense hasn't fallen off a cliff, as you just laid out. Because last year, Paul, if you look at the run defensive numbers, it was the complete opposite end of the spectrum. They were one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. That was their Achilles heel, as you pointed out. Mm -hmm. But they don't have that creeping up. 
against them this season. And that's the area that we talked about, that if you're the Giants, you still want to well, try to expose it. That's why going into opening day, I really felt the Giants were primed to pull an upset off them. I really did. Because, you know, I hadn't been at training camp every day with the Cowboys to look at what they had and what they were doing. But I was basing, you know, the the prediction or the thought process that the Giants could upset them in week one off of what we saw here in July and August, which was really good. Okay, it was really good. And the fact that, okay, Dallas probably hasn't been able to fix a whole lot of the problems they had last year because it's only week one of the regular season. So how dramatically different could they be? So, you know, you put those two things together and you say to yourself, all right, the Giants got a pretty good chance. They're home. Uh, they, they, they could pull this upset. This is going to surprise a lot of people. The Giants are going to make a statement here. And instead, they just fell flat. They just totally, they totally laid an egg in that game. Um, there's no excuse for it. Uh, we do know that game flow and momentum is a big part of an individual Sunday. And there's no doubt that after they moved the ball effectively on that first drive and then got stalled with the block field goal that returned for a touchdown, it changed the whole dynamic of the game. Now, I'm not going to say that one block field goal, you know, is a reason for a 40 to nothing route. I won't say no, that. No, there were a lot of other factors. There yeah. were a lot of other factors. But but that certainly seemed to knock a couple of teeth out of the Giants' mouth. It really did. I that play for that play seemed to hurt a lot more than it should have. Well, also because you lost Andrew Thomas in the process well, of the play too. That's another whole story. Yeah. I mean, that contributed not just in that game but beyond, but you look at the fact that the Cowboys Seven sacks, 12 quarterback hits in that game, mm-hmm. and it was spread the wealth. It was a little bit of everybody, and all of the guys up front are going to be back in the mix again on Sunday. That's why this is going to be decided based on how well the Giants' offensive line plays. And I'm not talking about to allow Tommy DeVito, Paul, to throw 40- to 50-yard bombs down the field. That's not what why I'm bringing this up. I'm bringing it up, can the Giants stay out of third and forevers yeah, and can they actually be functional moving the ball up and down the field? That's what will be dictated based on how the Giants' offensive line handles the Cowboys' defensive front. I don't think you're going to be naive and you're not going to go in thinking, all right, we're going to throw deep bombs down the field and we're going to catch the Cowboys off guard. No. Can you remain functional? I think that is the big goal. And you wonder, now that Tommy DeVito has a full week of operating as the starter, what does that do? for the offense what does that do for the personnel because the last two weeks he came in on the fly in a game Mm -hmm. he was serving as the backup now he took command of the offense this week he worked with all the personnel does that help them take a step forward in terms of rhythm communication with the offensive line or in the big picture of things does it not necessarily move the needle I don't know at this point I don't know if it's It's that big of an advantage I, I don't know Because, I mean, once again, it's not as if Tommy DeVito hasn't been around the team, and it's not as if these wide receivers aren't used to dealing with a variety of quarterbacks because they've been exposed to that with respect to games. That's why it's going to come down to, okay, the Giants, they know what the Cowboys are going to bring to the table. How well do you handle it? I hate to say this, but one of Tommy DeVito's most intelligent or best plays on Sunday will be throw the ball into the first row. Because live to see another down. What he what he needs to make sure he does not do is take an unnecessary sack, 
which is going to cost you a tremendous amount of yardage and play into Dallas's hands, as you've already described. And the other thing that he must not do is take too many hits where they might be able to strip the ball and cause turnovers. Because let's not kid ourselves, all right? Turnovers against Dallas, <laughs> you could have enough trouble winning this game if you're even in turnover ratio. You certainly don't want to get negative. And, and think about this. A, a sack is almost like a penalty because it's a loss of yards and it moves you behind the chain. That's a negative right? play, yeah. So the Giants right now are uh, second in the National Football League. They've been flagged 78 times, okay? 78 times. Now, fortunately for them, I, I guess you could say fortunately, is that only 55 have been marked off. That's because there were offsetting penalties and penalties that were declined. But so you're talking about the accepted penalties, essentially. That's accepted ones. Yeah. Okay. But in terms of flags thrown, 78 flags thrown against the Giants, second in the NFL. Dallas, 72 flags thrown against them. That's sixth most in the NFL. So, you know, it's not just on Tom DeVito, Tommy DeVito, to prevent negative plays and third and longs. It's also on the rest of the team. Now, I didn't break it down. I could, but I'm not going to bother breaking it down for you right here. But the rest of your offense also has to understand when you've got the ball, you know, you cannot, absolutely not get called for false starts, illegal motion, illegal formation, uh, holding, you know, these kinds of things. They're almost the equivalent of a sack because they're negative plays. That's what's going to put Tommy DeVito into the cauldron, the the Cowboys' cauldron, and they're just waiting to stir that soup. And that's why we go back to the emphasis of first and second down. It's not just sacks. It's avoiding negative plays overall. And when I mean negative plays, Paul, I'm talking about you don't want to run for negative one yard on first down and now face second and 11 because on second and 11 – Dan Quinn is going to give the green light to his guys up front. Mm -hmm. So it's all of these things. It's penalties. It's sacks. It's establishing some positiveness with respect to the run game. I have a breakdown of all the penalties that you were referring to. I have them, but I don't want to go through them. No, I'm not trying to do that. But I would say the bulk on the offensive side of the ball in terms of the high-volume guys are on the offensive line. If you do look at the individual breakdown. Well, leads the league in flags. Correct. And Neil is right behind the Zudu. Five yeah. versus but four. Neil won't be so, playing this week. No, but I'm just saying that you, you were making the point about it goes beyond the offensive line, and I'm with you. Oh, yeah. But with respect to the Giants this season, the culprits, though, for the most part, have been the guys on the offensive line. Here's another thing I want to tap into, and this was evident, if you recall, against Max Crosby last week and week one against the Cowboys. It was the play right before things started to unravel and then the Giants had the block field goal. Thomas was called for a false start, right? And I think we talked about this at the time of the game. Micah Parsons is lined up right over Andrew Thomas. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that Thomas has come out on the record and spoken about this, but my observation is Parsons' presence helped force that false start. I think that's fair. So the point is the identification of where guys on the Dallas defensive line Mm -hmm. are lined up Calm, cool, collected, communicate, and don't ruffle your own feathers and don't hit the panic button. I know, Paul, it may sound like I'm stating the obvious, but those pre-snap issues 
can lead to negative plays, and we've seen them. And there was another play with Evan Neal against Max Crosby last week, and Neal also. Mm -hmm. He sensed Crosby was there. Crosby, remember, he was moving back and forth around the line. I mean, the guy was doing a whole dance. He was doing the Macarena, essentially, okay? Mm -hmm. The music was the only thing missing. I'm not trying to make light of it, but in all seriousness, that's what the guy was doing. And he knows how to play the game. It's the mind game. And the Giants' offensive line flinched and reacted. So those are the things that also come into focus in a game like this. And it does get loud there. Yeah. I can't deny it. It does get loud in Dallas, especially when things are going well. They, they're, they're, they're a front-running crowd. Let's not make any mistake about that. Not that any other NFL team's crowd is much different, but... It's a very, very large disparity in Dallas. Uh, they get really, really souped up when they've got the momentum. When they don't, there, there's, not much, uh, there's not much there. But here's what I will say in terms of Parsons, and I mentioned this on the Brian Dable show on MSG this week. In terms of Parsons, uh, he's, he's had five games against the Giants in his career. Three times he's been held without a sack. Uh, he's got sacks in three straight games right now and yep. in six of eight games this season. Against Andrew Thomas, now I don't have a snap count of how many times he's actually gone against Thomas, but Parsons has been in the lineup when Thomas has been in the lineup in four meetings between the Giants and the Cowboys. In three of those four meetings, he's been held without a sack. He beat Thomas around the edge for a sack in a game last year. That's it. So I know that this season, Parsons is still lined up the most over the right tackle. But they have moved him around to other spots on the line more than any of his previous two and a half years in the National Football League. So Thomas will get opportunities against him. So will John Michael Schmitz. And probably, I'm guessing that it'll be Pew and Bredesen inside again. They'll have chances to, you know, have dinner conversations with Parsons too. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. And then Tyree Phillips. And Tyree right Phillips, tackle. we think, is going to be the right tackle. Yeah. Uh, so ironically, and again, I'm not trying to besmirch him. But Parsons has had more of his great games against other teams. He has not necessarily eaten the Giants for lunch uh, during his early NFL career. I think with a substitute right tackle in there and a, an undrafted rookie third-string quarterback in there, he's probably thinking this is the time to do it. Oh, I can only imagine. I'm sure he's extremely hungry and working up an appetite from that standpoint. But... Although your point is well taken, Paul, he does open up things for the rest of his teammates. Of course. So even if he doesn't have the monster game, what he creates for a Demarcus Lawrence or a Dorrance mm -hmm. Armstrong or Odigi Zua definitely adds up. And if you remember, one of the games last year, it was the game here at MedLife Stadium, Demarcus Lawrence had three sacks. And that was the Cooper Rush game in which he started. But there's an example of, okay, Micah wasn't necessarily dominant on the stat sheet, right. but somebody else ate from that standpoint and the number also that jumps out to me and 
you know, I always look at quarterback pressures and quarterback hits maybe more so than the sacks. Yes, even well, and that's what Wink does. Thing. Yeah. Well, that's what Wink does, and I and I agree with that philosophy, actually. I remember Parcells would always tell us all the time, you know, Lawrence Taylor would go a couple of games without a sack, and people would get all panicky in the press room. Yep. And he would go, fellas, fellas, it's not just about the sacks, fellas. You get all tied up in the sacks. It's not what it's about. There's a lot more, and, and he was right. He was right. So I know we cite sack numbers because that's easy to do. But believe me, I have always considered the context of quarterback pressures. And I didn't think that you were going in a different direction. I just wanted to read a number not related to sacks just to spell out how effective he's been. Parsons, 50 quarterback pressures this season. That's tied for the most in the NFL with the Eagles, Josh Sweat. And 22.7 quarterback pressure percentage in 2023 that's the highest in the nfl for a minimum of 150 pass rushes so that means the volume of times he's rushed the quarterback he's delivered success rate is near 23 percent. you don't even have to dig that far into the numbers 17 quarterback hits fourth in the nfl how about just just make it simple sure (laughs) and max crosby by the way is the other guy that's in the same territory as parsons when it comes to individuals that have at least seven sacks 10 tackles for loss, and 10 quarterback hits this season. So they go from playing one of the top guys to now the other guy on the list in back-to-back games. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here. It is Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody for tuning in as we're setting the stage for the second matchup between the Giants and the Cowboys, this time in Big D on Sunday at 425 p.m. Eastern. A few reminders before we open up the phone lines. The Giants Huddle Podcast, you can check that out on your favorite podcast platforms, as well as Giants.com slash podcasts. There are still single tickets available as the NFL schedule is officially out, and they're on sale now. Don't miss the Giants at MetLife Stadium this season. You can visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat. And the Giants official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV, it brings you original video content, game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. And you could also watch us on Giants TV. How about that? If that doesn't give you enough of an incentive to tune into Giants TV and oh, see I, this mug over no, here, I, no, then I don't know. I've got a better incentive. Yes. It's free. It's free. Okay, well, well, that's the first selling point. But then, once you notice it's free, you look at the content, Paul. There you and go. And they notice that you're on camera oh my God. with a microphone in front of you. Unbelievable. Come on. If that doesn't buy in, then I don't know what My does. tan is fading. I'm not very happy. Well, I mean, come on here. We're in the middle of the season. I know the bye week is coming up, week 13. Something tells me you could get by for the next three games. Is that fair? And then I'm trying, week 13, man. you regroup. I'm trying. Okay. I didn't get enough tan in Vegas when we were out there for the Raiders. Were game. you even out and about? Did you have enough time to explore? By the Cincinnati? time we got there and then I, I was able to walk the strip, it was uh, there wasn't enough sun. They were doing all this Formula One construction down the strip. It was blocking I'm a lot of I'm surprised you were able to walk down the strip. I would think there's so much foot traffic that it would oh, be Oh, no, it wasn't that busy, no, it wasn't actually. That busy? Well, they knew you were coming, apparently. Uh, so whatever. they prepared accordingly. Yeah. Well, no, I know you want to get your walks in, so I just I want to make sure that Thank you. everything cooperates. I will in standpoint. Dallas. Yes. Well, this is not your first rodeo. You've been no, to Big D I, plenty of times. I ex- I ex- you know the setup, the layout of the land. I, ex- yeah. I expect to get some good rays in Dallas uh, on Saturday. There tomorrow. you go. So hopefully the Texas sun <laughs> will cooperate on that front. All right. Let's open up the phone lines. Manny is in California, and he joins us here on BBK. What's happening, Manny? What do you got for us? Good morning, fellas. Happy Friday. Same Hello. All right. Well, I'm out here in California. I'm actually wearing my 
giant sweatshirt right now. I just came from the beach, and uh, it's it's pretty tough for me out here. Everybody is talking about the Giants, so just say a prayer for me. But <laughs> on to some other news. Um, I wanted to talk about, because I'm a, I'm a big Victor Cruz fan, and I'm yeah. sure that you guys heard about the comments that he made the other day. And um, I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on that, because I know he's well-respected within the Giants organization, so... Um, just wanted to get your opinions on that. Well, everybody can have an opinion. I mean, he played the game for a lot of years, so he's certainly entitled to have one. Uh, you know, here's here's what I would say. There's no right answer to any of these questions right now, whether or not where you're going to draft, what position you're going to draft, who who's it going to be, um, how will that impact. There are so many unknowns right now that, you know, nobody's right or wrong. It's just the flavor of the, the ice cream that you decide you want that day. I think once we find out where the Giants will draft, the slot they'll draft is really what I'm talking about, uh, and then you see who's in front of them, and as you get closer and closer to the draft, obviously you got free agency before that as well, and you know what their cap situation is. You need to find out what Daniel Jones's medical situation is going to be. Remember, he's still got that swollen knee. He hasn't been scheduled for surgery yet on the torn ACL. These are all things that, in time, we will get more answers to, which will then allow you to process and maybe make a more concrete or more logical decision that might have some teeth to it. But right now, anybody who wants to flash out any opinion at all about what should happen to this club is certainly welcome to do so. I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's right or wrong. He's welcome to have that opinion. See, Manny, based on what Paul's saying, I think any analysis of the quarterback position, you just you need more context, you need more intel before you can see what potential it's too options premature. are. Yeah, and if you don't know where you're drafting, and to Paul's point, you don't know also who's ahead of you. Because I mean, we were fielding phone calls earlier in the week when we were on Monday show, Paul, when mm-hmm. we were recapping, and there was somebody speculating about, well, it doesn't matter where they draft, they'll just move up. Well, no, it matters who's ahead <laughs> of you. Because if those teams want quarterbacks, who's to say that they're all of a sudden saying, sure, we'll switch spots with you, and you could take our spot and grab whoever you want. So it does matter who the draft order lays out and who is in the vicinity of the team that you pull for and so forth. So without that intel, it's hard to say what the potential options could be if the Giants do want to go down that road. No, for sure. I get that. You know, I just know Victor Cruz, like, you know, is an ex-player, former Super Bowl champion. So he knows how players are. He knows how they're, like, usually focused on the season. So I just thought it was – I wanted to get your opinion on, on that. But I have one more. Do I have time for one Sure, more yeah, question? real quick. What else you got? For sure, for sure. I wanted to see because, you know, the, the offense hasn't been gelling. I think we all agree with that. I'm a big uh, proponent in uh, Jalen Hyatt. So I was wondering um, what you guys think we can do to get him more involved, and I'll take the rest off the air. Thank you. All right. Well, appreciate the phone call, Manny. We are always asked questions about this, and I think it comes down to, Paul, he needs at-bats. He needs targets if you want to get him especially involved deep down the field. Now, we've seen him make some contested catches in the middle of the field. For example, the reception he had against Buffalo was a really nice grab on his part Mm -hmm. where he elevated. He made sure he secured the football, but – If you want the explosive plays, you want the home runs, 
and you're not settling for the base hits, to use a baseball analogy, then you need to provide your quarterback time to get the football down the field. And we saw that a little bit with even Daniel Jones, Paul, at the beginning of the Raiders game. He was going deep down the field. Unfortunately, they weren't able to hook up as the ball went wide. But those are the opportunities that need to happen if you want to see more production out of a guy like Jalen Hyatt. Well, in three of the last four games, he's played a minimum of 59% of the snaps. In fact, two of those games against Buffalo and Washington, he was up over 70%. So he's getting more playing time over the course of the last month. Now, I do caution you, the Raiders had a safety coming over on his post-pattern route uh, the other day in Las Vegas. And Tommy DeVito's throw was a bit underthrown, and it wound up getting intercepted. So... (laughs) <laughs> you know, understand that uh, there there are going to be times when, you know, if you force feed him like they did on that play, well, if the execution isn't up to par, he may not have an opportunity to truly grab the ball. He is a bit wiry still. He's not, you know, he gained some weight since Tennessee, and I talked about that being a concern when he came out of college, that he's going to have to get a little thicker, a little more muscular, a little bigger and stronger to play against some of these defensive backs in the National Football League. At this point, as talented as he is, and I don't mean this to, to besmirch him, he's a rookie right now. He still will have to gain some more muscle mass and and and, and increase that as he becomes more of an NFL player. But right now, I think it's hard for him to wrestle a ball away from somebody, a 50-50 ball, as we say, unless he's able to literally outpoint the guy for the ball. I don't see him necessarily being able to outfight someone for a ball because he he's he's more wiry than a lot of NFL defensive backs are. Now, in the next year or two, as he matures, I'm sure he will be better at that you know, fighting for a ball that's going to be in the box per se. But at this point in his career, I think I think he's got to grow into it. And that's why there's risk-reward every time you do throw him the ball deep down the field because of maybe the limitations that you had mentioned. And I also think that as he grows into his own frame, then the Giants could also have him run different routes mm-hmm. to then present sure. some shorter opportunities, Paul. Because, right, if you prove that you could fight for the ball – then I think they'll have you run routes that doesn't necessarily always have to rely on you just running past your defender because you have trust that if there's more traffic in the area, right, that the wide receiver can make the play. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they don't trust him to this degree, but I think that they have more experienced wide receivers on the roster who they will put in the position where there's more traffic and they'll Mm have Hyatt clear things out and try to win the battles deep down the field. But who's to say that that will not change as he grows and matures and gets more used to, obviously, the speed and the physicality of the NFL. Let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Lawrence in Florida here on BBKO. What's happening, Lawrence? What do you got for us? All right, thanks for having me. Sure. Um, those, those Cowboys always been a thorn on my side. Ever since they drafted Michael uh, Irvin, right after Eric Moore, <laughs> then they got... They got... Uh, Going back uh, to the, the 90s. Parsons right yeah. after they traded down. But... And then when you watch the Giants, the game's over in that Jerry's world, everybody's always staring up. Look like a bunch of World War One airplane spots. So, so let me get this straight now. Tony Corsett and Randy White and Roger Staubach, those guys didn't bother you? <laughs> it only started when Michael Irvin got drafted? 
Because let me tell you no, something, no, man. No, Drew Pearson was a pain in the butt, too, for many years. Well, he's, no, he's a Florida but... guy, so remember, Urban played at Miami. Maybe okay. it has something to do with that. So, okay. Yeah. No, but they all were. It's just that the Giants could have got him. Then when they traded, uh, they took Randy White when the Giants got uh, Craig Morton. Yes, that was the pick. But... The pick in the, in the Craig Morton deal was used to draft Randy White. That is correct. But anyway, I don't. I don't think the uh, Giants. I remember 1980 when Warner Wolf. He was the top uh, sports guy and uh, reporter in New York on the TV, and he predicted if you thought the Giants could beat the Cowboys, you believe in the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> and uh, they went out and they won 38 to 35. Remember the game. And uh, that was a good game. And I remember they had Mike Freedy and all those guys. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I have to agree with Paul. During the week, because I was going to suggest that, too. Don't get worried about Daniel Jones. Because remember, Phil Sims was hurt in the beginning of his career. The worst one is when he just he was out for a long time and he came back. And right off the bat, he dislocated his thumb. Yeah. I said, holy mackerel. 82. Yeah, look what happened. He, he came mi- back. Right. He missed the whole 82 season because of knee surgery. And then in 83, he came back and he busted his hand on a helmet. Clyde Simmons, if you'll recall, from the Eagles. That's right. And- I remember. Phil, Phil had four seasons, just so you know, Lance, what we're talking about. I'm going to get right back to you in two seconds. Phil Sims, the first four years of his career, uh, actually not the first four, but starting in 80, had four consecutive seasons of season-ending injuries, including one full season he missed in 1982. Though You were here on that yeah, show. I was here on we Monday. When we went over this. I apologize. Sure. Yeah. Oh, good. And, and honestly, so when you consider that, and how many times people gave up on him, at least fans did. The Giants never did. But fans gave up on him and said he's injury prone, he's never going to make it back, he's got no chance, and he was proof positive that, you know what, it does not have to be a one-way ticket out of town. You can come back from four straight season-ending injuries and still become a starter for the franchise. The only, once again, caveat that I threw out was that was the non-salary cap error. Yes. And I think it's a little bit I'm easier. I'm talking about the, phys- the physical Correct. abilities. Sure, talking 100%. About. But I guess if the caller wants to go in the direction of the present day, the biggest difference is teams don't always have as much patience or the luxury right. of that to stick with it. Very guy. true. Even if they may like a player, it's just because of the financial constraints in terms mm-hmm. of constructing a roster, they sometimes feel they have to go in a different direction. Not saying that's going to happen, but that's a big talking point now compared to what it was yes. like when Phil Sims was yes. the quarterback. Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, after that Jet game, I was so shook up, I had to go home and call my priest. I couldn't believe <sighs> are, it. Are you working on your new but, material, uh, Lawrence? It sounds like you're working it out here for us on PBKL. Got okay, a lot of these okay. liners. Yes. And I got it. Well, they're all... Anyway, I got one more thing. I'm worried about that right tackle position. I think the Giants should go to Japan and get a big sumo wrestler and put him out there. Nobody will be able to get around. All right, Lawrence. Thank you. Well, we, we appreciate the phone call and the observations. You got Yokozuna's number? <laughs> Yokozuna's not alive anymore, unfortunately. Oh, is he passed away? Yeah, he away? passed away. Yes. So is uh, yeah. Kam- Kamala's gone. Kamala's too, gone, it? too. Yeah, but Yokozuna was ten times the size of Kamala. Yeah, Kamala We're talking about big. WWF wrestlers, by the way, for everybody who's tuning in and is completely lost in terms of all these references. I can go back so. to Haystack's Calhoun. Well, I know who that is. Yeah. Yes. And that would be the first guy that comes and to go- mind. And Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla Monsoon, one of the there best announcers. I know you were probably around when he was wrestling. Yeah. So you're dating yourself. But I know. I knew him more as a, a broadcaster. Okay. Yes. But you don't want to hear my Macho Man impression now, Well, you've you? given us that already. I know. So, you know, we're, we're <laughs> like going back and we're revisiting old BBKL episodes. <laughs> yeah, Pearson's calling oh, it for Oh, yeah. 
Well, if you can perhaps find an offensive lineman based on the last caller's recommendation, <laughs> then maybe perhaps we actually will fall in line with the subject at hand. But in all seriousness, though, that was one of the reasons why they brought back Tyree Phillips. Unless yes. he was referring to Evan Neal. But, I mean, Tyree Phillips is going to be in play this week in all likelihood at right tackle. Yeah, And, you and know, a reliable option who a lot of people called in on this program, remember, and were upset when the Giants didn't retain his services right. and he wound up going to the Eagles practice squad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, look, Tyree Phillips, uh, he's such a good dude. He's always smiling in the locker room, very well liked. Uh, he was welcome back as soon as the Giants were able to grab him off that that Eagles practice squad, as you mentioned. You should have seen all the the high fives and the happy faces. Oh, there was a lot of the guys room. on the roster. Yeah, yeah. very well liked guy in that room. Good dude. And you know what? He's he's a pro. He's a pro. I mean, there are going to be people. Certain, you know. I'm sure Micah Parsons has some moves that he's going to try to put on him, and he'll probably beat him a few times during the game. Whether or not it leads to a sack remains to be seen. You know, I mean, Tyree Phillips, you know, he's not Anthony Munoz or anything out there. I'm no. not trying well, to say that he we're is. We're really making the references well, today. Well, I'm not trying to say that he's a, that he's a Hall of Fame <laughs> no, tackle. No, I, I don't think anybody But he's a competent there, yeah. player. He's a competent player. Munoz, by the way, Hall of Fame Bengals offensive line. Yes. I'm just, I'm not assuming tackle, everybody knows who we're talking about. That's why Well, you I know, when we talk about we guys to, like that, they're kind of everlasting. They, they should be, but that's to you. If there's somebody well, who's... Isn't he the NFL's all-time 100? He is, but are you going to tell me if there's a teenager out there watching this program that the first thing that comes to mind when you mention the name Anthony Munoz is... He might be the best tackle who's ever I, played the game. I agree with you, but you're talking to an audience that is familiar with okay. that player. That's what I'm trying Indeed. to explain to you. I'm with you. You don't have to sell me on Anthony Munoz. Gary Zimmerman? Once again, another guy you don't have to Too sell old? me on. No, well, but guys that are not necessarily, I would say, okay. household names to the new generation. Okay. That's all I'm saying. You know how the generation. I understand. You've been around for multiple generations. Yes. Paul. Okay. There are some people that have been around for well, a few Well, I didn't throw out Rosie Brown, <laughs> well, who, okay. by the way, is also right up there with Munoz as one of the greatest tackles of all time. Absolutely. So now you're bringing it back to the Giants' wheelhouse. Well, I see. You okay. forced we went from me outside the league to now inside. You okay. forced me. Well, to I didn't go force older. you to do anything. I, I, just, I don't know who Munoz is. See, there you go. So Pearson, thank you for weighing in and selling. I know my Rosie point. Brown, obviously. There you go. There you see? go. All right. So that's all right. Good. He knows. I, here's why he knows Rosie Brown because I guarantee he probably worked on a feature. That had to do with Rosie okay. Brown, and he's okay. shaking his head. I'll make every, I'll make that's why he I'll knows make Rosie both Brown. of you happy. Jumbo Elliott. I don't know if Pearson knows Jumbo Elliott. Sure, he you know, does. You know Jumbo Elliott. Pearson? I know the name. Is that name? I know the name. All right, he knows the name. I think it's because we've brought him up in conversation. All right, see, we've brought him up in conversation. I'm telling you, Paul, these assumptions here, dangerous territory. Okay. Look, look him up if you if you don't know who well, Jumbo is. I guarantee is, you they got Google up. out listening to you and your dissertations on old school football players. Between the wrestling and the football, you give somebody a lifetime worth of Google material. He here was one of on Parcells' favorite guys. Oh, absolutely. I am not disputing. He's a legend. The accomplishments of the player. I am just saying he that is Jumbo. the newer generation, I don't think, is familiar with a lot of these players. Okay. That's all. Okay. I'm going to leave it at that. But returning to the present day, to a yes. bunch of players that everybody can relate yes. to and know and so forth. The task at hand here is for Tommy DeVito in his first start to try to solve a very tough, balanced Dallas Cowboys team. And, you know, the other thing is I'm sure the emotions are running sky high for Tommy DeVito in this game. 
You know, and that's the other thing that we yes. didn't necessarily talk about. No, just the opportunity that has presented himself as a result of, unfortunately, the two guys ahead of him on the depth chart getting hurt. I know he spoke about this a little bit earlier in the week, Paul, but yeah. you wonder, do the emotions get the better of an individual like that in this spot? And does he have to navigate that, especially given you were talking about AT&T Stadium. It's humongous. You got the big screen up there. Do you have to sort of have a pep talk with yourself prior to the start of this game? If you're Tommy DeVito. I don't want to speak for him, but here's my suspicion. I think it's better that the game's on the road. That's fair. Played here at Don Bosco in Ramsey, New Jersey, in Bergen County. In his backyard. Okay. Grew up down in South Jersey, but but played high school ball here at Don Bosco Prep. One of the high school powers, not just in the state, but in the region. I think if this first ever start in the NFL, was here in his backyard, he probably would have a harder time controlling his emotions. No, I think that's a a very fair point. I didn't necessarily think about it through that lens, though I'd be curious to know how many people from the family and friends are actually coming to Dallas to watch it play. I would say it's probably got to be a lot of people that are going to head down there. I haven't asked him. I'm sure there uh, there are quite a few, but there'd be more if the game was here. Without a doubt, yeah, because not everybody's hopping on a plane and has the luxury to do that. So that could very well help him and the fact that he doesn't have requests coming left and right from individuals in the community. Not a bad situation to be in if you're going to make your first career start to do it on the road away yeah. from the New Jersey area. I, yeah. I think so. I mean, I you know, I think one of the things that the Giants coaches – uh, have expressed to us, Shea Tierney, the quarterback's coach, as well as Mike Kafka, the OC, and Brian Dable, the head coach. All three of them have said that that Tommy has actually done a very good job of maintaining his composure, preparing correctly, showing leadership, of not necessarily panicking. Now, I will say this. In watching his regular season snaps, you know, you, you obviously you went if you went back and looked at the Raiders game, he has shown a proclivity to hold the ball too long. And I understand that because usually when you get a young quarterback, there are one of two things they're going to do. Either they're going to panic and throw the ball in harm's way much too often and be inaccurate with it, which obviously leads to turnovers, or they're going to be so inhibited by those negatives that they will hold the ball too long and wind up taking unnecessary hits, unnecessary sacks, and, you know, as a result, not pulling the trigger, not zipping it in where, you know what, there was an opening, but it was only there for about three-fourths of a, of a second, and you could have hit that guy, but you didn't. And now it's too late because the pressure's caving in on you. Right now, Tommy is in that category. I saw it against the Raiders. He was in the hold the ball too long category. And if you do that against Dallas, you're going to pay the price. It will be very painful. That's why it goes without saying decisiveness is key for any quarterback, but the quick, spontaneous decisions are really scrutinized in a game against the Dallas Cowboys. This is the first time he admitted this, and Brian Dable said he's absolutely right. This is the first time he's worked with the ones. So, like the other day in Las Vegas... He threw a completed pass to Darius Slayton. 34 yards. It was the first pass he had thrown to Slayton since he got on the property. I mean, he remember, undrafted rookie free agent, practice squad, third string. Yeah. 
So he had never thrown a pass to Darius Slayton in his life. Yeah, because Darius didn't run the scout team or wasn't on the practice exactly. squad. There was never the so opportunity. Now he's in the game against the Raiders. They call the play. He zips the ball to Slayton. It's complete. Wow, I never threw a pass to him before. <laughs> yeah. So you'd like to believe maybe, maybe he will have gained some assertiveness over the course of the week now that he's had a chance to throw to some of these receivers who he'll be in the game with and also was in the game with during the second half last week. So that might help him overcome some of the inhibitions of releasing the ball at the proper time. And I do think that will help because I think by working with the ones during the week, it's not so much chemistry, it's the tendencies and the way that wide receivers go about their route. Yeah. That, to me, is what Tommy really has to digest and understand, okay, Darius, this is how he likes to run his route. This is the depth of the pattern. Mm -hmm. And Wondell Robinson, when he goes for a shorter route, I can't put as much mustard on the throw because if I do that, it could deflect off his fingertips and lead to a takeaway. Those nuances of the game, that's where I think it benefits him the most to have extra work at the ones that he did not unfortunately have the luxury to do in the first two games. This will not be a night and day difference. You don't miraculously develop that chemistry in one week. Yeah. Let me make that very clear. But anything will help. This is why quarterbacks often will go off on their own during the offseason and ask their receivers to come along and they'll throw at them for a week. Because... These are the types of nuances we're talking about. You know, Eli talked about it all the time, that he knew just from a nod of the head or a body motion, he knew what Toomer and Burris were going to do. They knew. The, the winning touchdown pass in, in the Super Bowl against the Patriots in Arizona, you know how, you know how that happened? They break the huddle. Eli, as he's surveying the, the defense, he goes over and he just takes a look and Burris sees, and they both see that Hobbs is single covering Burris on the boundary. And Burris just gives him a little nod of the head. They knew exactly what they were doing. Okay, that's where the ball's going. Because they had that kind of communication and chemistry, which takes a lot of time to develop. You're not going to find that in a week. But that's where you want to get to. So it does make a difference. This is not just something they're plucking out of thin air and saying, well, you know, Tommy hasn't worked with the ones. That's an impediment. It is an impediment. We're not just saying it. It, it, it does make a difference. Because it also helps the game slow down for him if you have trust in where your personnel no is question. going to be. And that, to me, is what could very well be the difference maker. I mean, to use the computer analogy, the processor of your machine. Okay, how mm -hmm. quickly it helps to run. Okay, Tommy DeVito, how quickly he processes what the defense is showcasing and knowing that this route will allow me to counter that and I can trust that this guy's going to be in that spot and I get rid of the football and there's not that level of hesitancy to lead to a Cowboy sack. That, to me, is where the biggest difference comes into play. Now, five weeks from now, we can maybe talk more about, okay, now he and Darius have the ability to look at each other a little bit. at the line of scrimmage a little bit. and those tendencies come into play. Because Plexigo and Eli were talking about a high volume of games. No doubt. And practices time, too. Correct. You got to that point. So they're not there yet with Tommy DeVito. Oh. But baby steps with respect to just the comfort of the tendencies, I think, of the personnel that's around you. Look, part of it is also when, when DeVito drops back into the pocket, the offensive line... They need to have a feel 
for what his clock is and for where he is in the pocket and where he wants to move and where he feels comfortable. This is all part of that too. Nate Solder, I remember what he got here. One of the problems that Nate Solder had when he was protecting for Eli was that Tom Brady had a different drop back than Eli did. And unfortunately, Eli's drop back would be right in the path of where Solder would work guys around the pocket to. And that would lead That's guys right into yeah. Eli. Sure. Brady's drop back was different. And Brady was also quicker to step up. Well, thing with the Giants was at the time Solder and Eli were here, not only was Eli a little bit deeper in the drop, which is where that, that pass rusher would be led to, the other problem was the front of the pocket was usually not very clean. So Eli could not step up. So consequently, boom, you get your quarterback hit. These are all nuances. This is why it's the greatest game in the world. Because there are so many nuances to professional football that every little thing can make a difference. I, I, I can't tell you folks. I mean, 41 years I'm covering this game. I love it. I love everything about it. And it's fascinating to watch. It's fascinating to watch it grow and to watch these things actually come into play. For Tommy DeVito this week, this is a very tall mountain to climb. There's no question about that. It reminds me, actually, what you were talking about, if you recall, when the Giants were playing the Jets a few weeks ago and they went down to the third-string center who had never snapped with Zach Wilson. And what happened on the very first play with Zach Wilson? Coughed up the football. No doubt. Because, once again, he didn't know the tendencies of mm -hmm. the guy that he was trying to hand the football over to. So it's no different with respect to Tommy DeVito on the offensive line, at least those guys having a better feel for what DeVito does during the course of a contest. But as you mentioned, it will be quite the challenge as they will be going to Big D to collide with the Dallas Cowboys for the second time around, kickoff 425 p.m. Eastern, and we will recap the festivities on Monday's program right here on BBKL at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. As a reminder, we appreciate you tuning in because today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere as well as Giants.com slash podcasts. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Enjoy the weekend, and we will speak to you on Monday. Have a good one.